As we dive into summer here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, we are also taking a deep dive into the book of Colossians. As modern Christians, we face pressures and influences that will shape how we move throughout the world. The church in Colossae faced similar influences. The Apostle Paul wrote to them, and by extension us, to remind and encourage that amidst the confusion of the age, we can be made complete by focusing on Christ. If you are interested in learning more about Jesus, Christianity, or the faith community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, I encourage you to reach out to us on our website, ccgf.org. Our pastors and staff would love to connect with you and assist you in your experience with Christ. Here is the message from this past week, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to go back for a moment to Julia's testimonial video that you just saw. You know, it, it takes a lot of guts to get really vulnerable with a bunch of people you don't know intimately and share everything. And so I would encourage you to do this. Whenever someone shares a testimony, be sure that when you see them in Mitten Commons or you see them around the church, that you encourage them, that you thank them, that you let them feel the love of the church around them. Amen. This is important. And I'm really proud of Julia and I'm grateful for the journey God has her on. And I pray that our church will surround her and Scott and others who share their testimony. And, uh, It's a blessing to hear these things and see how God works. So grateful. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the stories, the testimonies that surround us. The scriptures call it a a great cloud of witnesses. And Julie has added to it this morning uh, with her testimony. We thank you, Lord, for her faith in Jesus. We thank you for your presence in her life. And Lord, it's something we desire in our own lives. I pray this morning that as we consider the person of Jesus Christ, that we'd all be in awe, that our hearts would be captured by Him, by the reality of Jesus, our Savior. And thank you, God, that you are with us this morning. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would teach us through the Scriptures, and that we would live here, leave here, being people who not only hear this Word, but also live it out. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to tell you about a guy named Mike Plant. Mike Plant uh, was someone who is called a single-handed yachtsman. A single-handed yachtsman. Oh, to be a yachtsman, huh? That would be a nice goal in life. This guy was a single-handed yachtsman, which refers to him sailing solo by himself in a yacht, of course, and he would race long distances. Well, Going back 30 years, in 1992, I can't believe that's 30 years ago. In 1992, Mike Plant set sail from the United States, and he was headed to France. As you can see there, the the yacht was called the Coyote. He was aboard the Coyote, and this was a state-of-the-art vessel. Take a look at it. What a cool picture. The finest materials this was constructed from. Very, for the time, sophisticated electronics. And so as he's journeying, he lost contact, radio connection, um, 11 days into the trip. And that was problematic, but the people back home knew that he was in choppy waters. They also knew that Mike was an independent guy, and that he was probably just really immersed in, you know, overcoming the rough seas. That was, that was consuming his time. Not only that, that, that vessel, the Coyote, 
um, was built for rough seas. Rough seas weren't a problem for that particular yacht because the Coyote was built with an 8,000-pound lead weight that was bolted to its keel. And that, that was to ensure that it was almost impossible to capsize. Yet, when the coyote was eventually found, it was upside down. Somehow, that 8,000-pound weight had, had broken loose, and it made the boat unstable. And all it took was one great wave, and it would overturn it, and, and the captain was nowhere to be found. He was lost forever. How tragic. How tragic. What a tragic story. And, and it speaks to a problem, a big problem, being out of sight, beneath the surface. We're in the book of Colossians, as you know, if you were with us last week. If you weren't, we encourage you to go back and take a look at that first message. It'll help this message today make more sense. And as we're in the book of Colossians, we know that what was happening in the context of this group of people in these days, near the first century of the church, was something called syncretism. And syncretism is this, this blending of beliefs. There had been a church that was planted in ancient Colossae, and now it was being threatened by new ideas coming in. And these new ideas were confusing the people there, the Colossian believers. It was creating confusion about the real way of salvation. And they found themselves in danger of being capsized, turned upside down. Their faith was in danger of, of a big wave coming and sweeping them away. You know, a person's faith, and this is important to think about, a person's faith can look legitimate, even impressive above the water. That could be true. But if that faith is not bolted to the person of Jesus Christ in an everlasting way, well, then you have no chance of completing the eternal journey. Without being joined to Him. It's an impossible task. All this to say, what we believe about Jesus Christ really matters. You hear that? What we believe about Jesus really matters. I thought it was interesting in Julia's video. She said that she didn't know who Jesus was. And what did that lead to? Darkness, confusion, despair. When the waves of life came upon her, they almost swept her away. If you don't think what we believe about Jesus matters, I have news for you, it does. The Colossians were finding that out. Julia would tell you that. And some of you know from your own experience, what we believe about Jesus really, really matters. It's critical to salvation. Critical. And it's not all about beliefs, but beliefs are important. Listen, um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which you've already heard, read this morning aloud, can help us with this. It can help bolt our lives to the person of Jesus Christ. This is about as important of a passage as exists in all the scripture. If you don't believe me, go read some of the stuff about this on the internet. This is an incredibly rich passage. I was telling Jeremiah, we could preach a thousand sermons just on these verses. It's incredible. 
It's just massive and powerful. And it reflects, this is interesting, this little passage we're going to look at reflects what the earliest Christians believed about Jesus. And so if you think, well, maybe this is a new creation. Maybe you're like the Colossians. You're like, well, do we know everything about Jesus? Maybe we have some new enlightenment today. No, from the beginning, this is what Christians understood about the person of Jesus Christ. They knew that what we believe matters. And there was never a time since the the advent of Jesus, there's never been a time when the highest praise, the highest acclaim, wasn't given his name. So this is a confession of faith. We're going to take a look at it. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open. I saw some of you carrying your Bible in today. I love that. If you have an electronic Bible on your phone or iPad, go with that too. It's great. Take some notes. Pay attention to the scriptures, the words here. Uh, we trust God's going to speak to you this morning. I trust that's going to happen. And, and as we look at this, there's three things I want you to see in this little passage that's so rich. It's like an ancient hymn. I want you to see this, and I want you to see that the Jesus is our creator, the Jesus is our leader, and the Jesus is our peacemaker. Let's get into it right now. Uh, beginning, uh, going back to verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. Here we go. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is amazing. So, you know, we talked last week about where ancient Colossae was was situated, right? And we talked about the Persian Royal Road, major highway, major vessel that ran right through Colossae pretty much. They were very near that road. And all these ideas, not just people came in to Colossae because of this, but ideas, the latest ideas, all the things that that the culture was abuzz about, they were privy to. And it's thought that that one of the ideas from the highway, you know, or I'm sorry, it was thought this. That, that Jesus was an important person. We could see that, that there was a belief that the people would say, well, yeah, certainly Jesus was an important person. Much like our highway today, we talked about how we have our own highway that runs right into the palm of our hands. And perhaps some of what's out there in the new ideas would say Jesus is an important person. They wouldn't deny that. But they would seek to dethrone him. The ideas of that day, the ideas of this day, would seek to, not deny Jesus necessarily of being a human, of having importance, but they would seek to dethrone his glory, who he is. Well, today we're going to put him on the throne. We're going to join the Apostle Paul. And as you look at the words here, the first thing you see is this, is that Jesus existed before creation. Jesus existed before creation. Look at verse 15 again. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Well, you might say, well, firstborn, does that mean that he is a created being? Does it mean that somehow he's like the first one of all of us, like a man? No, no, this isn't firstborn in terms of of sequence. 
in terms of order, it's, it's talking about magnitude. It's talking about his importance. It's referring to the fact that he is the primary one. Kind of like this, in the, in the scriptures, you might be familiar with the story in Genesis of, of Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, born in the same womb, from the same womb. And we know that Esau was the firstborn, right? He was the one who was the older brother. But Jacob actually had the birthright. Jacob had the birthright. He was actually seen as the firstborn. He's the one who was the most important in the story of the people of God. In terms of God's covenant with the people of God. In a similar way, when we see Jesus as the firstborn, it's talking about his magnitude. It's talking about the level of importance of who he is. And listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself said this. He said, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. John 14, 9. That's what he said. In other words, he is the exact imprint of God the Father. When we talk about Jesus, understand that we are not talking about a created being. We're not talking about one who's merely a man like us, not at all. You know, it's interesting. The Barna stats show that the majority of Americans still believe that Jesus Christ actually was a person who lived on earth. That's true of most Americans. However, what we see in the younger generations particularly is that there's an increasing number of people who do not believe that Jesus Christ was God. Well, listen, this ancient hymn, one of the most important sections of the scripture. When you're talking about bolting your life to the person of Jesus Christ, let's start with this. He is our creator. Jesus Christ is a, is a picture of us for God. In him, in Christ Jesus, the invisible God is revealed perfectly. You see an image of, of, of God when you see Jesus. You want to know who God is? Go read the gospel. Go read the red letters of the scriptures. That's the very first thing we see here. So this is like going a deep dive into the person of Jesus. And here's my hope. My hope is it'll transform us. I pray that as Jesus washes over you this morning, no matter what state you've come to us into today, that this will change you. It'll be transformative as we consider the person of Jesus. He is our creator. But there's more than that. There's more than that. Everything exists for Jesus. That's what this passage shows us. Everything exists for Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So he's our creator. And not only that, all things exist for him. Everything exists for Jesus. You know, um, that road, one of the ideas coming off the highway in the Colossians day was this idea that all matter was evil. This is one of the prevailing thoughts today. The, the fact was they felt like the body was evil in itself. And so the argument that, that came off the highway and the Colossians were hearing about was this. They were hearing that if all matter was evil, even the body that Jesus Christ couldn't have had a real body. That was one of the arguments coming off the road, one of the teachings. The Colossians are being confused by this. Because if Jesus had a real body, well, then he would have come in contact with evil matter. That was kind of the thinking. 
Well, by the way, the idea that Jesus had a real body, he was a real human being, is indispensable to the Christian faith. He died, he suffered in his body for us. He paid for our sins through the breaking of his body, the, 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 the shedding of his blood. And so Paul takes this on. He says, no, no, no. This idea that somehow there's this phony dichotomy between the secular and the sacred isn't true. And by the way, that is a phony dichotomy. That's what this passage teaches us. The idea of secular and sacred in the scriptures doesn't exist. It's all sacred. It all belongs to Jesus. It's all his. Let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. He's much smarter than me. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis says it this way. This is a great quote. Hang on as I read this, okay? Check this out. This idea about this dichotomy of the secular and the sacred, this separation of the holy and the earthly. Now, listen to this. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. No. If you read history, you will find the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Listen to what he says. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. There's no disconnect, in other words, between the sacred and the secular. There's no disconnect between the heavenly and the earthly. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. We cannot become ineffective. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get nothing. You hear this? Listen, this idea of Jesus, Jesus being the one, everything exists for him. God's creation, though it is under the bondage of sin, we see that clearly. You and I are, are, are under the bondage of sin before Jesus. Even though that's true, all of God's creation can be used for God's glory and enjoyed by God's people. This is a very important teaching. Everything exists in Him, and for Him, and through Him. Tell you what the, the Colossians were into. You know, they were, were hearing teachings coming from the road again. Look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2. This is Colossians 2, 18 and 19. This is the kind of thing they were under. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Okay, this is what was happening. Because they were saying, hey, the body's evil. All matter is evil. People were becoming ascetics. Extreme self-denial. And they were attaching this teaching to the teaching of Jesus. And Paul says, no, let no one, let no one disqualify you insisting on such things going on in detail about their visions, puffed up without reason by 
his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. In other words, you don't need that stuff. It's all phony. What Paul is saying here is so important. I'm going to say it again. What Paul is saying is this, is that everything exists in him for Jesus and through him. This should have an impact on your life. This should be freeing for you. You know, just this past week, Lisa and I had dinner with a couple who owns a restaurant, a very secular thing. And they're playing secular music, so to speak. And they're, 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 they have people working for them who some know the Lord, I'm sure, and some do not know him. They do such a magnificent job of leading in that place, being the hands and feet of Jesus. They recognize that everything belongs to Jesus. It's all for him. A restaurant, a church, urban impact, whatever it might be, it's all for Jesus. And it all can be redeemed. And they recognize they have a calling to live that out in that context. It all exists for Jesus. You hear this? This is important. This is the one you're bolting your life to. He is our creator. And everything exists for him. You are called to redeem all of creation in Jesus' name. To take territory for the kingdom. Do you hear it? That's what we're called to do. Let's keep going in this passage. Because there's another point. Not only is he our creator, not only does, does everything exist for Jesus, he holds all things together. Listen to this. Verse uh, 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is kind of like the sum total of him being our creator, everything existing for him. Well, listen, he holds everything together. Um, there's, a, there's a gentleman that I know and admire very much. This gentleman and his wife have five children. And some years ago, his wife unfortunately was diagnosed with breast cancer. And despite the treatments and, and all the things she received, within a year she, she passed. And he had children ranging from just, you know, kind of out of high school, young adults, college age, all the way down to little children. And this guy, and I love this about him, this is why he's one of my heroes. When that happened, when that horrific thing hit his family, and though he himself was mourning greatly, he pulled his family together. He's told me about it. And, and he reminded them of the promises of God. He huddled them up and told them it was going to be okay because he was trusting in the one who holds everything together. He himself, as a father, was doing everything in his power, everything in his might, by the grace of God, to hold that family together. And he's, and he's done it. By God's grace, his kids have walked forward, and they've, they've been healed, and they miss their mom, but they're living life, right? He recognized that even in the midst of the worst things, we could trust in the one who is our creator. Everything exists for him, and he holds it all together. Some of you need to hear this this morning. That Jesus, the one that you've bolted your life to, he holds everything together. I mean, think about what's happening in the world. Ukraine. Listen, the, the, the woman who right now is, is, is living amid rubble because her town has been bombed out 
and who has lost loved ones can, can have peace, can persevere. Because even in the midst of that hardship, that woman can believe and know that Jesus Christ holds all things together. It strengthens us to move forward. Whatever's happening in our country, there's so much. There's the political division. There's the sexual debauchery. There's madness happening in our country. And and some of you are angry about it. Listen, you can have peace. You can persevere. Why? Because though it seems things are falling apart, imagine how bad that would be if Jesus wasn't holding it all together. Jesus is holding everything together. This is what the scriptures teach us. How about your own personal life? You know, think about Julia's story. She was putting her fist to the concrete, devastated by what had transpired in her life. Maybe you find yourself in your own devastation. Maybe you're just struggling as a person. Temptation's got a grip on you. Vice has got a grip on you. Maybe you're mourning and you're inconsolable. Whatever the fact may be, whatever the truth may be, I want to remind you from the scriptures that that you can bolt your life to Jesus Christ in an everlasting way, in a way that won't get ripped off. And you can have peace because he holds it all together. Do you hear that? Jesus Christ is holding you together. He is with you. Everything exists for him. He created you. He's our creator. And he holds everything together. Listen, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, as we like to say, controls all things. And that, my friends, is good, good news. Do you hear that good news? Does that give you some peace as you think about the times which we live? Pandemic world, all this stuff. Listen, no, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus controls everything. Back to the text. Let's look at verse 18. As we go through this one by one, this verse by verse, not only is he all, all those things, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Supremacy. You know, if there were a, a key verse to the book of Colossians, many argue this is it. Be your highlighter. You should highlight this one. You should underline it. And there's one particular part you should underline. It's this, that, that Jesus Christ has the supremacy. He has the supremacy. That's an important deal. Listen, Jesus Christ is supreme. There's no one above him. There's no thing above Jesus. I'm speaking this over you. Let it minister to your heart. Jesus Christ has the supremacy. He is the one who's beyond anyone or anything else. Yeah, he is our creator. Everything exists to serve him. And he holds it all together. He is supreme. Supreme. That's a big deal. Your life is bolted to the one who is supreme, bigger than anything. So that means when you go back in in Colossians 1, and if you can go last week to what we read, 
And it says being strengthened, this is verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance, great patience. You can have that endurance. You can have that patience. Why? Because you serve the one. You trust in the one. Your life is bolted to the one who is supreme. He is the one who is above all else, Jesus Christ. You know, there's this, this line about Jesus. It says, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body of the church. You might think, well, that's kind of a throwaway line. Maybe you, in your mind, think, well, what's the big deal about that? Listen, that's a big deal, and I want to highlight this. Don't think of the church in a small way. Don't think of the church you belong to or the church of this city or the global church, the, uni- the church that's universal across the globe. Don't think of it too smally, too, too tiny. The church is as big as it gets. Jesus didn't throw his leadership behind some second-class entity like it's the Bad News Bears or the Cleveland Browns or something like that. Sorry, Pastor Mike, I had to throw that in there. No, no, Jesus put his weight behind, his leadership behind, a first-class entity, the church. You know what's going to exist when this world's all burned up? The church of Jesus Christ. Not even the gates of hell, Jesus said, will prevail against this church. And listen, the church may have its problems. This church and other churches. You know, there's, there's a myriad of people, therefore there's a myriad of problems. And we read in the news about a failing of another pastor or a church that's gone under for some reason or thinking wrong about stuff. Listen, don't lose hope in the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is our leader. Let me tell you something about this church. We submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ, don't we? We submit to his leadership. This is his church. We serve him. He's the head of the church. We look to him for our direction. We don't want to do anything apart from him. He is our leader. And that should give you a great confidence. By the way, that should drive you to surrender your life to him and his church. It's not just Jeremiah or Craig or Brad or a person of the cloth, so to speak. Who, who gives himself to the church, each of you, because of the importance of the church, the supremacy of Christ. Man, give yourself over to the work of the church. Doesn't mean you have to leave your job. We don't believe in that secular, sacred kind of dichotomy. No, you can work, but give yourself to the church. Surrender yourself to it. Be a part of what's happening. Give yourself to the community. Give yourself over to service here because Jesus is the head of this entity, the greatest entity that's ever existed. The church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? He is the head of the church. Listen, if we, if we go on here, I want to look at verses 19 and 20. Check this out. It says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Do you hear that again? You want, you want to say Jesus is not God? Underline that. Go back to that. Highlight that one. God was pleased to have all his fullness. All his fullness dwell in Jesus. Every little bit of God dwells in Jesus Christ. That's one to bolt your life to. That's one to put your hope in. He is the one who's supreme. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, 
or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, I, when we come to tough things in the scriptures, I, I like to address them. And there's a tough thing in this passage. Okay, so when it says here, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, a lot of people take that to be a universalist stand, statement. That all things means, well then, that means that every person will be saved. Well, I want to make an argument that that's not what this verse, what this passage is saying. In fact, you got to remember, when we consider Scripture, you got to consider it in the context of the entirety of Scripture. I could point you to Isaiah 66, which would say that no, not all people are saved. But I'll point you to something that's a little closer in the Bible. If you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this, and I say this soberly. I say this in humility. I say this with compassion. Listen to what the Scripture says. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Oh. Man, I, I believe that, that God in His mercy will receive us as we trust in Christ. But it's not a universalist thing. You have to trust in Christ. This should be a motivation to you to share the good news, to share Jesus with the people around you. People you love, people you don't love, people you don't like. That they would come to know Jesus Christ the Savior. And, and by the way, the Scripture makes it clear even here for us that anyone who does come, Anyone who is reconciled to God, it's going to happen in one way. One way. Look again at, at verse 20. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There is one way that anyone, anyone who comes to God, anyone who's reconciled, will be reconciled and that alone is through the one who is supreme. The one who is our creator. The one who, who, who all things exist for. The one who holds it all together. The one who's the head of the church, our leader. Jesus Christ is the one. And you know what? It's his blood on the cross. His physical body that paid a price. He gave his life on the cross. It is his blood the scripture says, shed on the cross that gives us peace. He's our peacemaker. Through Jesus and Jesus alone, we have peace with God. Did you walk in here today lacking peace? <laughs> I have great news for you. The great news is this, that, that through Jesus, by trusting in his sacrifice, his resurrected life, you can have peace with God today, right now. What a beautiful thing. You know, Christ Church, as we consider this passage, what a beautiful, powerful passage. I would love to go on more. You know I would. But as we consider Christ Church or Grove Farm, this great passage about Jesus Christ, I pray, here's my prayer. I've been praying this today, throughout this week. I pray that the truth of Jesus would be bolted to our souls in an everlasting 
unchanging way, I pray that our minds and our hearts will be captured with His beauty, with His greatness, with His worth. It's all right here for us. And that the incredible truth that Jesus is our creator, that he is our leader, that he is our peacemaker, would change your life, would rest deeply, dwell deeply in us. And so here's how I'd like to finish today. I mentioned at the beginning of this this message that this little passage here is like a confession of faith. We do this when we stand and we read the Apostles' Creed. We make a confession of faith. Well, having heard just a little bit of teaching and preaching on these words, I thought it would be a great thing for us, and we're going to do this in a moment. We're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to read this. We're going to proclaim and declare this aloud together. And when we do, this is an expression of faith. If you've come in here and you thought, you know, I, I just don't know what I think. I don't know if God's with me or I'm struggling or I, I have questions about Jesus. You can address those questions by by proclaiming, by declaring this statement, by saying it aloud. This is a way to anchor yourself so you won't be dislodged. You can make this an expression of faith. You can make this an expression of praise. You feel like you're capsized? You can can make an expression of praise today. I want to raise your expectations as we get ready to stand. God will meet us because of the power of this passage. I believe God will meet us in the midst of this moment. Would you stand, please? You're going to see the words on the screen. I'm going to lead you through this. And as we close this message, as looking at Colossians 1, 15 through 20, let's proclaim this as a statement of faith as his people today. Ready? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible all things have been created oh did i mess up whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from among dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Oh, Father, thank you for this great passage. I pray that as we consider Jesus, each of us would have his truth his person bolted to our soul. That we, God, would in our, in our lives connect ourselves to Him in a way that cannot be severed. May we, Lord, remember that what we believe matters. And may we, Lord, go forth here trusting in the One who is our Creator, is our leader, is our peacemaker, the One whose blood was shed for us. We pray this in the powerful name of that One, Jesus Christ. Amen.